Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. We are joined today by one of the best-known teachers of Christian preaching anywhere. He is here on campus this week giving our Conger lectures in preaching and spending some quality time with our faculty and our students. We are thrilled that he is here. But before we introduce him, let me invite you back to campus for yet more public happenings. Next week is our World Christianity Focus Week here at Beeson Divinity School, and Dr. Diane Stinton will be our speaker. She serves as Associate Professor of Mission Studies and Dean of Students at Regent College in Vancouver. She will speak in Hodges Chapel on April 11, and then give a lecture on Wednesday, April 12 as well. And then the following week, our own Professor Doug Webster We'll speak at one of our Day with a Beeson author events. Find out more on our website at beesondivinity.com slash events. All right, Kristen, who is this year's Conger lecturer? This year's Conger preaching lecture is Dr. Scott Gibson. He holds the David E. Garland Endowed Chair in Preaching and serves as the director of the Doctor of Philosophy in Preaching program at the George W. Truett Theological Seminary at Baylor University. So we're really pleased he's with us today. He has earned degrees from the University of Oxford, the University of Toronto, Princeton Theological Seminary, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and Pennsylvania State University. And he's the author and editor of many books, including, I'm gonna mention just two here, but Homiletics and Hermeneutics, Four Views of Preaching Today, and The Big Idea of Biblical Preaching. So welcome, Dr. Gibson, to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with you. It's great to be here with you. Well, I've given a short professional bio of you, but I wonder if you can introduce yourself on a more personal level to our listeners by sharing with us how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Sure. I'm, I'm always happy to be able to share about my uh, coming to faith in Christ. And it's because of coming out of a non-Christian home. My father was an alcoholic. And so I really didn't have any exposure to the gospel, to the church or anything. So I was asked while I was working at a fruit and vegetable stand with some other high school students if I would like to attend a Christian music concert. And um, I really didn't know what a Christian music concert was all about. And I said, well, is there going to be any preaching there? <laughs> and uh, the person said, no, no, there's not going to be any preaching there. I didn't know much about preaching then or anything about preaching then. I really don't know much about preaching now. But anyway, I, I, I went and um, it was a uh, rural country Baptist church where a college age singing group sang the gospel. I heard the gospel through music. And at the end of the service, the pastor explained more specifically what the gospel is all about. And I knew that that's what I needed in my life. The emptiness of my life would be filled with Christ. So I remember going up and praying to receive Christ, looking back at a row filled with other students around my age. I was about 14 at the time, and they were smiling. They were beaming. And that church took me in, nurtured me, loved me, discipled me cared for me, put their fingerprints all over me, and they're still there today. Mm. 
Dr. Gibson, we know you're a humble guy and you don't think you're uh, a great homiletician, but we think you're a great homiletician, a very helpful teacher of other preachers. And our listeners, they're church people, pastors, seminary folks. They're probably interested in knowing just a little bit, given the fact that you're in your senior years of seminary instruction these days. How does somebody like Scott Gibson become the sort of person he is as a minister? You know, what was your schooling like? What was your pastoral ministry like? What are the things that the Lord has used uh, in your history to prepare you to serve in the ways you serve now? Well, I, I began answering that with my life verse, uh, my favorite verse, and that is Proverbs 20, 24, which says a man or a woman's or a boy's steps are directed by the Lord. And then the second part of it is a question, how then can anyone understand his own way? And you can't unless you trust the Lord, depend on the Lord that uh, leads you. And so I came to faith and uh, um, had no real idea of what I was going to do in life. I don't come from a family that had any college education on either side of my family. And um, so I went to vocational school uh, I, I trained to become a printer, printing, layout, design, that kind of thing. And so I was looking at a life of being a, a printer. I was in my senior year in high school, and I was exceedingly bored <laughs> running the printing press. And my curious mind was wandering all over the place. And uh, I went to the guidance counselor and said, what are my choices? What can I do? Because I really didn't train to go an academic route. Well, he said probably the best way for you to, to get an education would be to go to Penn State University. They have a vocational industrial education program. And you could teach printing, layout, and design. Basically what I had to do was almost get a journeyman's license in pre printing, and then I um, would have credentialing to teach at a vocational school. So that's what I did. I think looking back, I probably had many other choices than what the guidance counselor gave me, but that was my exposure to what might be the possibilities ahead. So I did, and in my freshman year, uh, at the end of it, I sensed a call to go into ministry. What do you do? Do I stay as a printer or a printing teacher, or, or what do I do? Well, I didn't change my major. I thought, I'm going to go through with this. It was a five-year program. And I thought, I'll go through with this because if I become a pastor and I'm in a rural context and have to be bivocational, I'll have something in my back pocket. I'd be a printer or I could teach at a, at a vocational school. So that's what I did. I graduated from um, Penn State, not the state Penn, went to Penn State uh, from there to um, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And there was a person who was the uh, InterVarsity director uh, at our campus at Penn State, connected me with a person at Gordon-Conwell, and um, he was the admissions director, and I went up to visit, and I had looked, considered other schools, but when I went there, I thought, this is the place I want to be. And uh, there were Baptists there, and I thought, here are some smart Baptists, some intelligent Baptists. I thought, this is great. So I, I, I decided to go there, and during that time, I was curious about preaching, and I received a, a scholarship. By the way, um, my family told me that they didn't have any money for me to go to, uh, high, uh, to, go to college. And so um, uh, they said, you'd have to do it on your own, whatever. Well, they didn't have the money. I didn't have the money. 
But um, the way the Lord worked, again, the, a man's or woman's or boy's steps are directed by the Lord. And um, I'm 90% blind in my right eye, and I got a what's called a vocational rehabilitation scholarship and paid for my entire schooling at, at Penn State. So then when I went off to Gordon-Conwell, having non-Christian parents, they were not in any way interested in, in helping me. And so I, I, um, I went there on faith, and uh, um, church, my home church sent me money. The people would send me checks every week, and it would go towards my bill. And um, I remember the bursar there, and I'd carry a check to his office and leave it on the counter and he'd look at me and he said, what's that? Another check from one of your old lady friends? And I said, yes. Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> so I had a great experience uh, at Gordon-Conwell and I received a scholarship called the Parish Pulpit Fellowship that I was enabled uh, to go overseas. It was a scholarship that was uh, for somebody who demonstrated promise in preaching. And so it had to be done overseas, and my preaching professor said, well, you're a Baptist, and Oxford has a, a Baptist college, so go to Oxford. And I thought, I am totally unprepared to go to Oxford. But I went, they accepted me, and I studied the life and preaching of A.J. Gordon, of the Gordon side of Gordon-Conwell, who's a Baptist minister in Boston, and wrote his biography. And uh, then I, I went into the pastorate, and. Uh, served for a few years and then went back to school. I thought I needed to uh, do something perhaps different with my uh, work at, uh, on the doctorate and tried Princeton Seminary. thought maybe I could study because I had not finished the doctorate from Oxford yet. But I thought, no, no, I'm, I need to finish this degree. And then uh, I got a, a fellowship, a scholarship from the Rotary Foundation, and that's how I ended up at the University of Toronto. So. I can say uh, uh, this man's steps are directed by the Lord because they were not uh, uh, in any playbook that I could have come up with, but it, it, it was God's. And even getting the job at Gordon-Conwell and so forth, I'm just so grateful. Uh, so yes, it's, it's the Lord. And for you, did that happen as soon as you were done with all that graduate school? Uh, I was still finishing up the doctorate from Oxford and uh, uh, all the archives were at Gordon-Conwell and Gordon College. So I wasn't married at the time yet, so I moved up there after having been pastor. I said, I gotta get this thing done. And I had taken care of my father. Uh, he was ill with cancer and I took care of him for a year and did some interim work at two different churches. But after that year, they said, my parents said, you really need to finish this degree. They finally saw the value of my Oxford education. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, I uh, went to Gordon-Conwell to finish up the degree and uh, rented a room and. Here, one of my mentors there, the one who encouraged me to go to Oxford, uh, took ill with cancer. And he asked the dean, would you please have Scott Gibson take over my classes? So I took over his classes in 1991. And I stayed there till uh, 2018, so 27 years later. Yeah. Who were some of those people who, whom God placed in your life to serve as mentors and really shape you, especially I'm thinking these early years, but maybe even beyond. Um, who were some of those people? Well, uh, my home church pastor under whom I became a Christian, his name was Paul R. Levan, R for Richard, because his wife, would, when she was 
upset with anybody called uh, uh, that person uh, Doug Richard or Kristen Richard. <laughs> and so um, uh, they, they took me in and he nurtured me in the faith, but he left soon after I became a Christian, but he kept in touch with me. And so when I was in seminary, I did two summers of uh, internship with him, and I learned the ropes of pastoral ministry with him. It was an incredible experience. His shaping of my life shaped my uh, view towards pastoral ministry. He was an incredible pastor. And so um, I lived in the church building, and uh, they had a gym and a room off to the side, and, and uh, I had dinner with them or with members of the church for two different summers. And of course, I was enmeshed in their lives. And I was called oftentimes when his wife got upset with me, Scott Richard. Well, it's not my middle name, but, anyway. <laughs> but I, I'm glad to have that moniker from him. And then, um, and, and, and we we've been, had been in touch uh, for many years, and he had a powerful uh, influence on my life, uh, even as a professor. And then um, I mentioned about going to Gordon Conwell and having contact with an admissions director. He then eventually, uh, he was on, became a faculty member, and um, his name is Ken Swetland. And Ken was an incredible mentor to me. He just died a few years ago. And he was the kind of person, like Pastor LeVan, could ask me the hard kinds of questions. And then one other, uh, and, and he nurtured me in being a professor, nurtured me in, in, in being an academic. The other person that I can't ignore uh, talking about is Haddon Robinson. I worked with him for 21 years, and Haddon was a straight shooter and a great lover. Uh, I'll tell you, when I was a new professor and I, I, I didn't really know what to do about getting a car, I, I was n new at this and I didn't really know how to buy, I won't buy my cars off of people. And, you, and I went to a, a car dealership and they wanted me to have a loan and I had no idea what to do. And those are some of the things that I didn't get taught at home. And so um, I talked to Haddon and Haddon said, how much money do you need? <laughs> and I said, oh, I don't know, maybe $13,000. Oh, I'll loan you the money, no interest. Just draw up the contract. <laughs> and so I paid him back well before the contract ended. But there's so many expressions of his grace and in everyday life, let alone uh, learning about the field of homiletics from him. So I am, I am enriched by people who have poured their lives into me, and that's, that means all the world to me. Well, and by this point in your life, uh, you've poured a lot of love and wisdom into many other people's lives. You've been coaching preachers for, for decades. I don't want to overdo your <laughs> age, but you have some experience. Uh, and while we have you on the show, we want to ask for a little assessment. Where do you think we are, particularly as evangelicals today, uh, when it comes to our preaching? We'll ask you maybe in a minute, what do you think are some of the things we're doing especially well? So we can end on an encouraging note. But before we get there, do you want to kind of lay it on us and offer a little bit of a critique of evangelical preaching in our time? Well, I, I love preaching, and I, I think that preaching is in, in, incredibly important so much so that it makes me think about what are the lacuna, what are the difficulties in, in evangelical homiletics. And it has a lot to do with evangelicalism, but also our, our, our wider culture. That is, there's a real lack of biblical grounding even in preaching circles. Because preaching then is, is not so much about 
what we know about the scripture, but it has so much to do with our own uh, personality and the dri drivenness of, 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 um, of self-centeredness. And so preachers are promoted, people are promoted to the place of preacher without really having the background. Uh, it, it seems as if if somebody's good at um, speaking up front, then they're um, able to preach. And the, it, it's, it's almost a, a, a personality or content. And I, I'm concerned about evangelicalism because that has driven us very strongly to the expense of understanding the Bible, the biblical languages, the, the way in which the languages function, and how important that is in developing a sermon that conveys the intention of the text to our listeners. And um, that's, that's something that, that really, really concerns me. Um, and it, it's, it's seen even in um, other circles in terms of education where no degrees or it doesn't matter. I remember <laughs> when I was going off to seminary, I'd, I'd finished this degree in um, uh, vocational education, and I told the deacons at my home church that I sensed the Lord calling me to seminary, uh, to ministry, and I want to go to seminary. They said, what do you need that for? You're, 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 you have a degree. I said, I know a lot about printing, but I said, I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. And so I committed to going to get the education. That's not necessarily the case for a lot of people. Um, there's a, a great um, appreciation and desire for the attention on the self, but not attention on the text. And, and uh, it takes sacrifice. And we've accommodated, we have online things and all this and that, but we've accommodated to people to the extent that we really haven't help them to see the importance of a thoroughgoing education that has you wrestle with the biblical text, church history, theology, and so forth. So that, that's, a, a, that's a big critique because I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to be uh, halted um, in, in, in the current climate in which we find ourselves. But it's a great concern that I have because it affects aversely preaching. So on the flip side, as Doug has already hinted at, what are we doing right in preaching? Or what has you encouraged regarding preaching within evangelicalism today? Well, I'm encouraged by the, the uh, abundance of resources that are accessible to, to preachers, uh, co commentaries and such, uh, you know, on, on, uh, online or whatever, or these kinds of resources that, that are, are there. And so that can, that can really help and encourage preachers, if they know how to use these resources and tools. Um, but um, that's not always the case, but still, I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by um, a preponderance of resources like preachingtoday.com. They, they have a great resource for, for preachers, uh, preaching magazine, um, encouraging preachers to develop in preaching. And, and I'm also um, encouraged about the opportunities that uh, are given to people to get uh, academic training in, in preaching. A, lot of, a number of THM programs have been developed to focus on preaching, doctor of ministry programs, PhD programs, so to, to highlight the importance of homiletics. And I'm, I'm encouraged by that. 
I, I, um, I hope that there will be an increasing appeal of these kinds of resources so that people can take advantage. Mm. We've already noted that you're a Baptist, Scott, and uh, you teach at a school that has a lot of Baptist students in it, and so do I. Uh, there are a lot of Baptists in our neck of the woods as well. Uh, as you've reflected on your Baptist heritage, as you've written a little bit about your Baptist heritage, as you've worked with Baptist students and Baptist preachers, what do you think? Is there something that Baptists have contributed uh, to preaching ministry today that, that we ought to uh, point to with a certain amount of gratitude to God? Well, I, I think that, uh, of course, we have different tribes in, in, in the Baptist world. Uh, and there are some tribes that do better than others in terms of the recognition of the importance of preaching. Um, and, and, and the way that that is uh, made clear is the preaching courses that are available for students and that preaching is part of the curriculum. Um, I would prefer at least two courses in preaching so that there could be some strength built there. Uh, but some schools just have one, and I would love to see them have more, and I'd like to see a, 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 um, uh, even um, other kinds of opportunities for students. Um, but that being said, I, I think that the, the, the Baptist world is making a good contribution to, to the field of preaching. Um, on different kinds of levels with those kinds of opportunities, academic opportunities. Um, and even these kinds of lectureships and things of that nature highlight the uh, place of preaching. And that's a good thing so that people can see the importance of it and, and, and appreciate what, is, what takes place uh, when preaching uh, occurs. Um, going back to the questions that we asked you as it relates to some criticisms, but encouragement as it relates to preaching. I wonder if we can expand upon that and direct it more toward our listeners who are preparing for ministry or they're in pastoral ministry. What specific advice can you give them as it relates to their preaching ministry, um, as it relates to proclaiming scripture with excellence? Well, the first thing I would say, I alluded to it before, but I would say, that use your biblical languages. Um, make sure you engage with them. Don't see them in the rearview mirror. You jump through that hoop. Our educational system tends to be uh, segmented. And so uh, once I'm done with that, it's forgotten. Uh, but they are all building blocks for what you are being called to do and to be. So my, my encouragement is to, to um, Use the biblical languages, move from the biblical text to the sermon. Don't come to the sermon uh, with an uh, idea that this is what you want to say and find proof texts to do it, but to, to come from the um, text. And when find preachers who do that, that is, if there's preachers you are aware of, whether they're known or unknown, uh, how do they do what they do in moving from the biblical text to preaching? So that they, there's this uh, intersection with the text and, and the listeners. Uh, Haddon Robinson used to say, when we preach, we want the uh, steel of God's word to hit the flint of people's lives. And it's that kind of thing that sometimes is not as easily taught. But if you can 
caught it <laughs> and, and see what other people do who, who actually use the, the biblical languages. And, and, and it doesn't mean that they're snooty or academic, but it's really that they're connecting with, with people. So that's really the, the, the thrust. I want to encourage them and all the more to, to be committed to uh, engaging with the biblical text in the original languages. We want to remind our listeners that you're here giving our Conger Lectures, our annual Conger Lectures in Biblical Preaching this week, and that we make video recordings of these lectures, and they're posted on the web. And I want to encourage our listeners to tune in and, and benefit from the entire lectures. But can you give us a little teaser? What have you been saying to us this week that might attract some of these folks listening to us now to the website? Well, the, the theme that I've chosen, the title is The Preacher's Character. And so I preached on Tuesday from Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. And the idea that I was trying to get across there was God can't stand cracks in our character but our char because our character can't stand without God. And, and it, it, it caused, a, I hope, a, a reflective type of moment as a move into the uh, two lectures. The, the lectures are uh, the preacher's character. The first one is on celebrity. And the idea that I'm, I'm trying to advance there is today's preacher cannot avoid engaging with as well as confronting the phenomenon of celebrity. The second lecture then is the preacher's character on sex. And, and the, the, the idea that I'm, I want the listeners to, to wrestle with is Preachers want to gauge their sexual drives and commitments before they engage the culture in which they live. So uh, I'm, I'm focusing on, on, on character in these two specific areas where people wrestle. With, but this is a part of a larger project on which I've been working with regard to the, the, the preacher's character. Well, thank you for being on the show today. We always like to end these conversations by asking our guests what the Lord has been teaching them personally in their devotional life as a way to edify, encourage, or even challenge our listeners. Um, so would you mind sharing with us what has God been doing and uh, teaching you in your devotional life? Well, I've, I've been very much encouraged by a book by uh, Jerry Bridges called The Discipline of Grace, God's Role and Our Role in the Pursuit of Holiness. And, and this is echoed in my mind, the statement that he makes in the book, preach the gospel to yourself. Uh, it's uh, something that we often um, don't do. And we're preachers of the gospel, <laughs> but uh, we are men and women who uh, have foibles and falls and, um, and are in need of forgiveness. In fact, what uh, Bridges says is that the typical evangelical paradigm is that the gospel is for unbelievers and the duties of discipleship is for believers. But the gospel is for believers also. And we must pursue holiness or any other aspect of discipleship in the atmosphere of the gospel. He says, we must firmly grasp what the gospel is and what it means in practical terms to preach it to ourselves. And, and this means for, for me, we are, I am a forgiven sinner and, and constantly am in need of being forgiven because of the gospel. Jesus Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection, and promised return. 
And, and I, I guess um, that word preach, we preach the gospel to ourselves. I, I, can't, I can't get away from preaching and preaching to others and preaching to myself the gospel. What a good word. You have been listening to Dr. Scott Gibson. He is the David E. Garland Professor of Preaching and Director of the Ph.D. Program in Preaching at Truett Seminary, Baylor University. Thank you very much, Dr. Gibson, for this wonderful gift, spending almost the whole week with us here at Beeson. We're deeply grateful to you for it. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We remind you that we love you and we're praying for you. Please pray for the ministries of Beeson Divinity School. Please pray for our dear friend, Scott Gibson. We say goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at BeesonDivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes.